Any questions? <laughs> that it? All right, cool, guys. Um, so we'll just extend the coffee break till the kids are done. Is that cool? Um, so if you guys haven't checked these guys out and watched some of their videos, they do a fantastic job. And they go from beginning to end. They have pretty much every book in there. And it's all extremely entertaining for everybody. So if you have a chance to check them out, watch those a little bit more. Um, this, I sat and probably watched this video probably 20 times over the course of the last couple of weeks just to try to get what the heck is going on. Um, so before we get into that, I want to introduce myself to a lot of faces you maybe have not, have not met me. Uh, my name is Mason. Um, I'm usually on stage playing bass, um, but thanks to Luke, I got to sit this one out. Thanks, buddy. Um, and focus on this. Um, I'm also across the way and teaching the kids. Um, so usually hanging out with them, super fun, had a lot of, had a lot of fun with it. And then Robert um, asked me to do this today for whatever reason. So a um, little bit more about me. I'm also a parent. I got four kids, a couple of them hanging out here. Uh, they're all probably making a mess over there. Um, and then I've been married to my wife, Brittany, for 11 years. Uh, so that's been super cool, I think. I've asked her, make sure it's cool. Um, but it's, it's been a super cool blast. Also, Brittany is the teacher in the upcoming uh, preschool, Little Pines. So if you guys have a chance to check that out. We got little kids looking for something. Shameless plug. Um, so working, I've been working with Redemption Hill f since they moved over here. Um, I've played bass. I've p usually lift up those curtains that are super tall. Um, that's pretty much my role. But it's been a super cool blast to be a part of the progress. It's kind of the 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 um, process toward progress of a community getting closer to God, and that's kind of what I want to focus on. Um, the story of Nehemiah takes place um, right after the new temple was built, um, and there's been basically a generation of people who have lived there. Um, a lot of them probably have never, weren't, weren't exiled, a lot of them probably young and grew up there within the past 60 years. So we're talking about pretty much a lifetime of people who have returned from exile. Um, so it's been just about a lifetime since the uh, then king of Persia, Cyrus, gave him permission to return to uh, Jerusalem. A lot has gone on in that lifetime. Um, Matt last week shared the book of Ezra. Uh, this does a great job of like breaking it down really quick. Um, that Ezra was a teacher. He was also an authority, as you saw. He helped build laws, um, some good, not some bad. And we'll see that story repeat itself um, in the respect that when you leave people in charge by themselves, they usually tend to mess something up. So as you see from the book of Ezra, I started pushing the society back and making up some laws um, that weren't commanded by God or directed by God. It was decisions he thought he interpreted and made a law out of. Nehemiah, though, Nehemiah was an Israelite who had become an appointed official uh, for the king of Persia, who was Artaxerxes at this time. Uh, Nehemiah was naturally a swift and decisive person. He was very, you know, when he, when he was set on a goal, he would take on, take on that role until it's completed. Um, some of you guys might know people like that who when they, have, when they have a goal set, they will not let anything get in their way. More than likely, these are attributes that helped him move up and work closely with the king of Persia. Um, Nehemiah was, uh, was uh, by this time, had become a pretty big deal. When you, live cl when you work closely with them, he more than likely had a pretty good life. Uh, he probably was reasonably lavish compared to regular society because of how close he was, which leads right to directly because of his work ethic. Um, this is why his decisions 
in the book of Nehemiah are kind of out of character. And you'll see that throughout these two stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, that they're kind of out of character. So Nehemiah had gotten word, and we're going to read really quick um, the, out of the first book of Nehemiah. Um, when he finds this out, Nehemiah finds out what the condition of, uh, of Jerusalem is, and this is where he picks up. It says, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So he took this to heart. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days, I mourned. So this, this hurt him. And remember, this character is a guy who is, when something's on his mind, he's committed to fixing it. He's, he's gonna follow through and see it through. He's quick and swift. So when he made the decision, when, he, when this hurt him, he made a pretty swift decision, you'd think, based off his character. But it's a little bit di different. So he sees the wall around Jerusalem built to protect the temple and the people. With, and other, there's a couple other points of this area that, he, that the wall's built around that he wants to see protected. He wants the people and the, and, and the buildings and everything around it taken care of. So Nehemiah, instead of just launching an all-out, like, let's go fix this right now, he pumps the brakes, which is out of character for him. So Nehemiah, right after that, on the next verse, says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days I mourned, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love and those who love him and keep his commandments... Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins were, of, were Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you give your servants. Gave your servant Moses. Whoa. So this guy speaks up and says, dude, we screwed up. We did it. Remember, they were exiled in the first place for the same reasons that they're there again. They're doing it all over again. So that he's noticing quickly that, he ha that they haven't learned their lesson. All, all, now remember, this is a whole generation of time that has passed since the, they were able to return, and it took one lifetime to go right to back to the way it was. So Nehemiah um, decided to, after praying to God, he spoke boldly to God, he wants to go make a difference. Um, he reaches over to his, his pal, king uh, of Persia, Artaxerxes, and says, hey, I want permission, but I don't just want permission. I want resources and manpower. That's what I need to go change this. This wall needs to be built. This community needs to be protected. So think about this for a second. This guy has worked his whole life, more than likely, like, committed his entire life to it, to become the position that he's in now. Close with the king of Ar king Artaxerxes, moved up as an Israelite, has a cush life, and he gives it up. He realizes a problem, and he turns around and gives it all up. He gives it all up and heads toward him, which is outside, which may be partially in his character of following through, but when he stops, prays to God, gets permission, and, and then tosses it all out and moves over to, to Jerusalem, it was a pretty big sacrifice. But in the way of Nehemiah, and you'll see him go back and forth between human decision and a decision with God, he didn't go alone. He wanted to show up in style. So he brought an army with him, 
and resources. Because if you think about it, there's a whole community of people who are surrounded by friends and family. And could you imagine one guy showing up and going, These place, this place is a disaster. We need to fix it now. Like, you're weird. Go away now. No, it'd be, so he shows up with his army of people. Now, when Nehemiah shows up to Israel, he showed up with a large group of soldiers. And we find that in the third chapter, not too deep into the story, you find that that's, that's pretty much all they were was show. He didn't have enough manpower. He didn't have enough resources. He didn't come prepared for the job that he signed up for. Now, remember, in case you're wondering, this is pre-social media and photos. So he had, he had only heard how bad it was. So when he showed up, he probably was a little bit overwhelmed. But he stayed true to God the whole time, praying to God, making sure he's at least trying to stay on his path. Although you'll see him go back and forth. In the video, you saw him lose his mind and beat people up. That's probably not a commandment. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but he found out that in the third chapter of Nehemiah, that all that the manpower and resources were not enough. Nehemiah, who had been praying the whole time, trusting God, spoke to the people of Israel to solicit assistance. They want, he wanted help. So when he spoke to them, I'm sure it was heartfelt, because at this point he was pretty close to God and trying to follow the direction of him. And he was able to compel the, the, the Israelites to be a part of this. And this is kind of the big deal. So... As told in the story, the, the building of the wall didn't come easy. Um, they actually got a ton of opposition. They were hassled by neighboring communities, threatened by armies, and actually had to split up and stand guard to protect each other as they took the steps of building the wall. Um, some did a lot. Some did as much as they could. There's stories of families coming together to build large sections of the wall, while other stories of elders who pretty much just do the span of their property line. And that's about it. But they each threw in, kind of came together to put in their part. So I, I do have a picture to just kind of show you what the story is, um, to kind of give you an idea of what they did. I'm going to break something probably. Um, so this is where it all kind of starts. So basically, if you guys wanted a nap, read Nehemiah 3, okay? I'm telling you. It's seriously, the whole story is this guy did this, and then it got to this guy who did that. And then that guy gave it to this guy who did a little bit. And then the next guys did a ton up to the thing. And then you pass out, I'm telling you. But when you got the map in front of you, it tells a way different story. So just to give you a little bit of a breakdown of what this wall was, this wall sur surrounded the temple. And then around here was a lot of like, homes and, and, and uh, important people, like villages out here. And the, the wall was built all the way around it. And the temple, the word temple is small. That temple was actually pretty darn big, okay? But it all started up here. I'm going to hurt myself. Um, right here at the Sheep Gate. And you'll read the story in, uh, of uh, the book three here. It says, uh, Elisha, Heben, the priests, built the sheep's gate down to the men of Jericho, who built it to, to Zachar, who then gave it to the sons of Hasana, Hasananana, I'm sorry, uh, to the fish gate, and then it goes all the way around. But you'll see the big deal here is each community really stepped up. Like, could you imagine this? Now, so this wall was two and a half meters wide. I think it was 12 meters tall. Yeah. Included 34 different watchtowers. 
nine gates of various sizes and, four, and over 4,000 meters in total length. Nobody had Dwalt power drills. Nobody had forklifts. This was done by hand with probably Rube Goldberg machines to get the bricks up at the right place. Um, and it was done in 52 days. An entire generation sat while this was rubble, and in 52 days, it was completed. This involved huge sections done by the techites while, while Azariah did that little tiny part. But it took an entire village committed to one purpose, a purpose that they committed to God. That's community. 52 days. An entire generation, and it only took less than two months to fix it. So this is one of the biggest points that I want to show you guys. Now, Ezra was human, and humans oftentimes mess things up. If we put faith in humanity and individuals, we're going to have our heart broken, right? It's going to happen almost exclusively, with the exception of one person. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. But um, this was a huge community effort put together by one person who showed up with an idea. Okay. These people agreed to help is an unbelievable story of community. It's individual account of an enormous community effort all pointing in one direction. This is a miracle, guys. This is people taking a step away from blind faith and stepping toward miraculous human fellowship. Okay? And I want to tell you a quick story. This one's a little bit weird, so keep up. So there's this uh, old psychologist who wanted to do a study on human behavior. So we put 10 monkeys in a cage. Um, so he built this huge cage, and he put 10 of these monkeys in the cage. And at the beginning of the day, he grabbed, I'm going to do this again, he grabbed a banana, and he put it on top of the huge cage. And then the monkeys kind of noticed. One of the monkeys runs up, grabs a banana, eats it, and he follows that up with a garden hose, and he sprays the other nine monkeys with water. They weren't too psyched about that. I don't know if you know monkeys. I don't, but they weren't happy about that. They included that in the story. Um, yeah, super. Then the next day, he puts another banana in the cage. Another monkey gets to the banana, eats it. The other nine gets sprayed with water. These monkeys aren't psyched about it, and they're starting to realize what's happening. Next day, he puts another banana in the cage. And as that monkey runs toward the banana, the nine monkeys beat the tar out of him. <laughs> Nobody gets a banana. Nobody gets sprayed with water. So they're learning, classic conditioning, if I grab a banana, I get punched in the face. I'm not, not worth it, okay? So he goes a couple more days, the bananas rot, he puts more bananas up, they don't ever eat it. Then he gets tricky. Gets a new monkey and replaces one of the 10 monkeys with a new monkey. Puts a banana up. New monkey gets his butt kicked, <laughs> okay? And over the course of several weeks, he replaces all of the old monkeys with new monkeys. Now there's 10 monkeys that won't eat bananas, and they don't know why. None of them got sprayed by water. They're just doing it because the last guy punched me in the face. <laughs> right? Sometimes blind faith is warranted. Sometimes blind faith has no backing. Sometimes we do, th do things that make us feel like we're in a rut, or sometimes we do things that make me feel like we're in a groove. Sometimes we don't know the difference. These monkeys had no idea, okay? When we think about blind faith, 
This is the checkbox stuff. And I'll talk a little bit more about that because we start talking, like they said, tabernacle, they go into celebration after the walls are built. We'll touch base on that a little bit, but blind faith is the checkbox Christian life to me. It is the come to church on Sunday, shake the dude's hand, get a free donut, boogie out him good for seven days, okay? Show up late, leave early, I got my God fixed, right? That's blind faith to me. I feel like there's something there, and that's why you came again, but there's always, you leave, you might have filled your God cup, and then you wait till next Sunday, unless football's on, then maybe the Sunday after. I'm only saying that because I'm guilty of it sometimes. Um, so, so this was a huge step for the Israelites to step away from blind faith. And that's what they kind of did through exile. And it took one lifetime to go right back to the way they were because they believed that God was going to take care of them regardless of what they do. And not that that's not true. That's obviously true. That's what tabernacle is all about. But the decision to step away from blind faith and in so doing, taking a step toward miraculous human fellowship, coming together as a community, is really the story that talked to me a lot. Um, with the Israelites, after they actually finished the wall and all that stuff you know, was built, they didn't have to actually fight off anybody, but they were intimidated and made fun of the whole time. Once the wall was built, they went into deep and intense study of the Torah. For seven days, they worked and read and read, and they, and, I mean, seven, like, that's a long time to really get back to it. If you ask me, that was the reset button for what we were doing. So as a community, they got together, they built all this cool stuff for the sake of God, they changed what Jerusalem looked like o over the course of two months, then they thanked God for seven days. Just intense time with God. I don't know anybody who's done that, <laughs> who's just sat down for seven days and been a part of that. But that sounds exactly the word I used, intense. But then they followed that with the cool part that everyone would look forward to, which is tabernacle. Which is Tabernacle, to give you guys a heads up, was even at this time was lifetimes ago when, they, when tabernacle was kind of put together. It's always been a celebration of God's fulfillment of what he said he's going to do. The fact that he's always got a plan and he's always got our back, regardless of what we do. Just like when Nehemiah prayed to God at the beginning of the story, regardless of how good we are at this, God's got our back, right? So that's what the whole tabernacle celebration is. And as it goes into celebration of the tabernacle, they have a blast just celebrating the word of God. I, I'm like envious of this. I think it'd be so cool to just party because God's got our back, right? But the thing about, about tabernacle on this point is that it's not a checkbox faith thing to do. At this point, they've proven it. They've been a part of it. They've been a participant in God's plan. And then they get to celebrate. Okay? So, with the community put together like this, working together like this, changing everything overnight, then they get to celebrate. That sounds like something I would love to be a part of, right? So, let me tell you another story that kind of brings this story a little bit closer to home. So I work in a customer service call center. Everyone roll your eyes if you've worked in a call center before. I totally get it. I will not tell you where I work because I don't want to be bombarded with questions about something about what they did right or wrong about your life. I'm not that for, here for that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm there for that. Um, but this community at work, it's over 500 representatives and about 50 or 60 leaders. OK? 
Okay, it's a union environment. So if you guys know union, basically what that means is the, lead the leaders are separated from the people <laughs> who are in a community of themselves, right? I, at this time, the, this story takes place, it was about two years ago in the winter, I worked closing. So I didn't get out, of the, out the door until about 10, 30, 11 at night. Every time I came downstairs for about three days, at the bottom of the stairs was a mom and two kids, elementary age kids. It's 11 at night and it's cold. So I'm like, okay, maybe the family has one car and they don't want to leave their kids at home sleeping so they wake them up, go pick up data from work and they go home. So I didn't really think about it for a couple days. And then security approached me and said, hey guy, I'm not supposed to let them in after closing. Can you talk to them? I'm like, uh, your security. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Okay, so we, f we go up and we talk to the guy, the, the husband and father of these kids, and I was like, hey man, can we talk real quick? Hey, I'm not sure what's going on. A little bit of concern, just make sure everything's okay, but for the most part, I'm here to like, tell you about the rules that we can't just open doors for everybody. Well, the guy started bawling his eyes out. And I was like, whoa, shut the door. <laughs> what's going on, man? He said, well, I'm homeless, and I don't have anywhere to go and my kids just come in to get warm before the night. I was like, well, there goes my evening. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, my hands, unfortunately, professionally, are pretty tied. Um, reason being is going back to the union thing, I have to be careful on what I legally can do that doesn't put the company in a predicament. Um, so I'm kind of like, I, I kind of don't care about that, but how much could I do individually? So I had him hang out for a little bit, I actually, we had like a, we have like a gym downstairs. I said, if you guys want to take showers, hang out, whatever, turn on the TV. I reached out to the site director with me and my buddy. We reached out to the site director. The site director said, we got to do something. Um, we were hoping to put them up in like a hotel for a couple days or even a couple weeks in an effort to give them a safe place to live while they save up. But then the site director made the move to contact the union director. The union director contacted every individual out of this 600 person union and overnight, this guy had the down payment and first month's rent available in his, in his bank overnight, 24 hours. This was community. This was two emails and a text and this guy was taken care of. I never saw somebody like cry like that. And it was like so weird because kids had no idea. We were looking at contacting social services. Is it okay for kids to sleep in a car? Turns out in Idaho, yeah. So they're not going to do anything as long as there's gas in the car. And they were getting gas cards from the school, food from health and welfare, but they could not get off the ground. And this was overnight, problem solved. That's community. That's community in a day and age where a text and two emails changes someone's life forever. This day, this was back when there was nothing. This was nothing. Let me tell you one more story, more personal. I, growing up when I was eight years old, on 4th of July, two, or 1997, my mom passed away. Bacterial meningitis happened about four days, it was over. Really difficult time in my life. Still have trouble talking about it sometimes. But by that time of the year, all of our birthdays had passed. So we had about six months before important holidays happened. And then the important holiday happened which was Christmas, nobody wanted to celebrate it. We didn't do anything. 
We didn't put up celebrate. You know, the Christmas stuff never went up. That was mom did that. And this is when we started feeling it, right? All over again. On Christmas Day, I was eight years old, and I woke up, and against our rickety TV stand and against our TV was like a mountain of presents. This is pre like major internet. This is pre social media, no texting. This was a group of people who noticed something happened six months ago, and they didn't want the kids to feel like it. That was insane. And now when I was eight years old, I didn't realize it. I just saw a bunch of presents. It didn't make mom come back, but I couldn't be only sad. So that's, that's, a com that's community. That's little things. There's not much there. And that's what I think this story tells. So when there's a need, we can take it on individually. I can sit in the room with that guy and be like, hey man, we're in a union, I can't really do anything about it, but your kids can't be in the building after 10 o'clock. And it would have gone. And that would have been a perfectly legal and justified action, and I don't even have to feel bad about it. But a text and two emails later, that guy had a home. That's the sort of stuff that, that that's the world we live in now. Community is, is a fun thought. This is, let, me, let me put this in a, in a sports environment real quick just so that I can make more sense of it. You guys came to church today. This is like the stadium, okay? So you guys made it to the activity. But the cool thing is we can be one of basically three things. We can be spectators of God's plan and watch it all come to play. We can be cheerleaders of God's plan and post really cool quotes on Instagram with a flowery background, which is great. Sometimes that's exactly what somebody needs. Or we can be participants. We can be part of it. And we live in a world where being part of it is easier than ever. Robert spent about four or five minutes this morning talking about several different group activities that we all maybe brushed off. We all maybe thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool, but I'm not a huge baseball fan. So I'm not psyched about going to the dudes group tomorrow, even though it's $8 and a hot dog. But that's the group that's going to have an action that's gonna have the opportunity to make a difference. And so what I noticed out of this story is that the celebration at Tabernacle came after a community event, after a group of people decided to step away from blind faith and into miraculous human. It's just something that makes me like, gives me the chills to think about how we can do that and we can decide to do that. Now, you guys are already, for the most part, I'm imagining you guys all believe to some level, so you guys are already in this, at least your spectator mode, right? My calling for myself, and I think everybody should think about this, is how do I step up? How do I step up? How do I do something else? How do I send an email to that person? How do I show up to men's group tomorrow at baseball? How do I make it to camp in August? Or how do I become a part of this? And it's not, like I said, it's super easy. You can go to Facebook and make, be a part of the group, and there's always reasons to do something. If you need a small group, be a part of it. If you need a small group that fits your schedule, do it. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but this is how community makes a difference. If you try to do it by yourself, it's going to be almost impossible. But when you put a community together on a mission pointed in the right direction, differences can actually be made. Okay, that's kind of my biggest story. That's, that's where it comes down to it for me. I'm calling myself out on this one. 
my plan was for a year and a half to have a men's group. I'm really excited about that. And then Robert planned it while I was camping. <laughs> so I will fail. Oh, thanks. I will fail you guys tomorrow and not be at the men's group. But I will be a part of it. I'm already in Stanley. Don't look at me like that. I'm going to be in Stanley camping, doing men's stuff. By my anyway, so my, my thing is, guys, this is an opportunity. This is a world we live in that community is easy. I know it might be weird to meet new people and hang out and share stories, but you're not gonna, it's not going to be easier than this. So step up. That's my, that's my call out on myself. If it's on your heart too, reach out, talk to anybody, hit the Facebook. There's going to be something for all of us to be a part of, okay? So I have no idea what time it was or how fast I talked. Hey, not bad. I'm going to hit it. So let's, uh, let's pray really quick and, uh, and get uh, the worship band up here for a couple more songs. Dear Lord, I'm going to, I know that I'm a spectator. And I know that sometimes I'm a cheerleader and on a rare occasion I'm a participant. But God, I don't, I don't want to look back and think about what I could have done for you. God, I'm going to call myself out and say, I don't want to look back and I don't want to look down and see clean hands. I don't want a comfortable life. I don't want an easy going. I don't want to be provided for by myself. God, I want to go and find joy in you. I want joy to be found through you. I know that real happiness, the, the most happy points in my life was when I put a smile on someone's face that wasn't there before. And a smile that came from you, that I could just be a part of your plan. And I know that everybody here came on purpose. And I want to call us all to action. God, there's little things we can do, but I want to be, I, I want to be a part of your plan. God, I, I, I want to be, I want to be a part of your plan, God. Today I'm just lifting up this church and I want the Holy Spirit to be palpable. I want to feel it, and I want to be a part of it. God, I know I love you, and I speak on behalf of this group. We love you, God. We trust you, and we follow you. Amen.